Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Acts chapter 27, where because it's the first day of our study this week, I'm going to push all the way back to verse number one to get the full context of the trip. Uh, This is happening in 60, after Paul had been in Roman detention at Caesarea for two years. He is now appealed to Caesar, this would be Caesar Nero, and he has to be shipped off to get into the bureaucratic line to have Nero hear his case. And so, chapter 27, verse 1 says, when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. So we know in chapter 27, verse 1, that Luke is with this group, traveling with them. Uh, By the way, he's probably just recently sent off his letter to Theophilus, which we know of as the Gospel of Luke. And so that helps us pin down the uh, writing of that Gospel to right around the year 60. Now, Julius is the head of this prisoner delivery detail. He seems to be Italian. His whole unit seems to be Italian. And he is responsible for getting all of these people from point A, which would be Caesarea, all the way to Rome. So verse 2, embarking in a ship of Adramidium. Uh, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. So we know that Luke is with Paul, and so is Aristarchus. Uh, We also know that the first ship they got on was some sort of trading vessel that would coast along between lower Syria, which is where Caesarea is, Uh, along the southern coast of what we know of as Turkey, and then they would hook up along the east, the west coast of what is modern-day Turkey, where they would then reach their home port, turn around, and repeat the process the other direction. So they'll only stay on this ship uh, for part of their journey to Rome. Verse 3, the next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly, gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Now, that should not surprise us a bit, because Paul is not a convicted felon. He's not a convicted prisoner. He is a Roman citizen being detained until his case has been heard by Caesar. And there's every expectation that he will be released, which is why Julius treats him with such deference and lets him even get off the ship. Um, He's, of course, handcuffed or chained to a Roman soldier, at least one, uh, but to get off and go meet with some other Christians at Sidon. Verse number four, putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus or Cyprus because the winds were against us. So the winds are coming out of the west, mostly, And that is a problem. And so they try to hang on the coast uh, 
on the inside uh, direction of Cyprus. And it says here that we had, when we'd sailed across the open sea along the coast of Kalikia, Kalikia is up in that northeast corner of the Mediterranean, and Pamphylia, which is just north of Crete on the southern coast of what we call Turkey, we came to Myra in Lycia, and there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. Uh, so at this point, uh, Julius is already looking for a different ship because he knows soon uh, the ship that he's on is going to take a hard north turn and uh, go up the coast uh, of Turkey. And that's not where he wants to go. Uh, he wants to continue traveling westward toward Italy. So he finds a grain ship that is heading from Alexandria, Egypt, full up with grain for Rome, and uh, he gets his prisoners transferred into the, uh, the passenger compartments on this massive grain ship. Uh, verse 7, uh, We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus, and as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salome. So they're trying to head westward through the southern portion of the Greek Isles, and they're hitting this headwind. And that is not helping them make any time, because they're probably either having to tack across it uh, to use their sails, which is taking up a lot more time, or... Perhaps they're even putting some row effort into it. Neither one is going to make the distance uh, before the weather closes in to the Mediterranean for the year uh, or for the winter. So verse number eight, uh, verse number seven told us that they had decided that they were going to go on the southern side of Crete, uh, which is uh, the main, it's the great big main island in the southern part of this Greek area. And uh, this would get them out of the wind, but they also have given up making it all the way to the Rome. Uh, they're now going to look for a winter harbor post or winter harbor uh, to hang out in. And uh, verse number eight, coasting along it with difficulty. So even with Crete kind of blocking some of the wind, they're still getting enough that they don't feel uh, that they can make progress. So they're staying very close to the shore on the southern rocky side of the island of Crete, and they finally came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lasia. And so this is about halfway across the island. I think the island's like 160 miles long, east to west. And so on the south side, there's a little notch. And they find this place as a potential putting in harbor. Uh, verse number nine, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. Now, the fast that they're referencing is the Jewish fast called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which happens in the seventh Jewish month on the tenth day of that month. 
and uh, it is it is mostly in late September. I think sometimes it comes in early October. Uh, but this is a rule of thumb uh, from Jewish perspective that trying to sail in the open seas of the Mediterranean after this is not a good choice. You're kind of taking risks, especially if you're trying to get to Rome, where that last leg is across a lot of open sea. So they decide, okay, we're well past Yom Kippur. Uh, We need to put into a harbor. Uh, Paul is well aware of this, and he encourages it with a bit of a reinforcement of prophetic insight. Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ships, but also of our lives. Now, this is predicated on the idea, if we keep going. So, Paul is basically saying, I'm telling you, if we keep going, not only will the ship and the cargo be lost, but a whole bunch of us will be dead as well. Now, he doesn't fear for his own life because Jesus already told him he's going to be in Rome. He's going to speak with the emperor. Uh, But because Paul is a prophet, he's an apostle, and because Julius uh, is uh, deferring to him, uh, Paul had hoped that this would keep them in in the port where they're at at Fair Havens. But they ran into a little bit of a problem here. Verse 11. The centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. So the pilot, that is the helmsman, the one that's driving this ship, the captain, if you will, uh, and the owner of the ship and cargo they don't want to say stay in this smaller harbor of Fair Havens. They would prefer to go to a larger harbor a little farther along the coast. Only one more sailing jump, and they should be there. And uh, verse 12 tells us that because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, it was a harbor, it would have been protective, but it didn't have the facilities to do some of the maintenance on the ship. Uh, There weren't as many uh, facilities for the passengers and for the crew to take advantage of. Uh, Because of all that, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So they decided to take one more jump along the southern coast, get to this larger, better, facilitated harbor. And it was a bad idea. Verse 13. Now when the south wind blew gently... Supposing they'd obtained their purpose. So it's not as bad as it had been. 
It seemed like maybe there was a break. Remember, these guys are functioning with just observations of nature. They don't have uh, weather radar and stuff like that to tell them what's ahead. Uh, they don't have the, the predictive uh, capabilities of, of weather people. Uh, so they're just guessing, oh, it looks like the wind is going to help us out here. We can make that last jump easily to the better harbor. So supposing that they'd obtained their purpose, they weighed acre and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Nor'easter struck down from the land. Uh, so they had a wind that they thought would help them stay along the coast. But immediately something bigger comes in from the northeast. Uh, and there's these squalls, these windstorms uh, that come off of Turkey uh, and then uh, across the uh, south part of the Greek islands and it comes sweeping across Crete and it pushes everything to the southwest. And that's exactly what happens to this ship. And there's no warning. It's just suddenly there. Uh, when the ship was caught and could not face the wind. Remember, the, the wind is coming out of the northeast. And they were trying to stay along the south coast of Crete. And now they're being pushed really hard off to the southwest, away from land. Uh, so when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, so they don't have the capability of tacking and uh, rowing is not going to be sufficient. We gave way to it and were driven along. So the professional sailors give up in trying to fight it. Uh, they, they decide that the best course of action is just let it push us. Verse number 16 running under the lee of a small island called Calda. And you can see this, do Google Earth or some sort of mapping system, find Crete, and there's a little bitty island just off the south coast, uh, not very far from Fair Havens and Phoenix. And so they tried to get where that island could provide some windbreak. But the only thing it really helped them to do was this. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. This would be the launch, the little rowboat, if you will, uh, that allows them to go from their anchorage to the shore. Uh, so that boat was riding behind them. They didn't bother to take it in uh, at Fair Havens. They were going to use it before too much longer at Phoenix. But now suddenly they realize they're in a mess. They got to get that boat up into its derrick, up into its cradle, uh, or else it will be bashed against uh, the stern of the boat. And that might even uh, uh, do their ship some damage as well. And so verse 17, after hoisting it up, they use supports to undergird the ship. Now, some of the ways that they've described this in the commentaries is quite scary when you think about it. Now, remember, these ships are all wood. 
they are reinforced with uh, waterproofing material. Uh, but uh, if you've got a storm, uh, there's a lot of movement, a lot of creaking going on uh, between the, the joined pieces of wood that make up its uh, a bottom, the bottom of the ship. And you could end up with leakage there. And so one of the things that they would sometimes do is that they would run large ropes underneath from one side to the other side underneath and then use some sort of um, system of tightening that to hold the design shape of the bottom of the boat in place. Now that means somebody has to dive overboard and underneath and back up again in a storm. And that's where I'm thinking pretty scary stuff. Uh, But they are more afraid of what's coming next than the loss of one man's life trying to keep this boat from falling apart at the seams. Because it says, Then, fearing that they would be run aground on the Syrtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Uh, So, the Syrtis... There's a little notch, actually it's a great big notch, in the north coast of Africa to the southwest of Crete. And uh, the way that this design of the north coast works, the way that this this topography works, is it causes a lot of of sand uh, to build up in certain areas far from land. Uh, And these shoals can rip the bottom out of a ship a long ways from land. And people can drown uh, and cargoes can be lost. And so this is what they're afraid of, is that this wind is so powerful. This weather is so massive that it is pushing them at a fairly high rate of speed in the direction of those shoals those sandbanks and uh, they want to delay as far as they as much as they can being pushed that direction now when it says they lowered the gear there's a couple of possibilities here Uh, it could be that they take their main sail down and only use one of the smaller sails to kind of keep the boat always moving in the same direction as the wind Uh, But by taking the mainsail down, it slows down the forward progress of the ship. And so they won't cover the several hundred miles quite as quickly uh, without that mainsail. Or possibly they had something like a sea anchor, which was like a great big piece of cloth on a rope that you threw out backwards over the stern of the ship. And it, of course, would open up like almost an underwater parachute, and it would create a lot of drag on the forward motion of the ship. And so all they're trying to do is delay how long it takes before they come to this very dangerous part of the north coast of Africa. Uh, Verse number 18 since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. Now, as we already talked about, this is a 
grain ship out of Alexandria. It probably got several hundreds of tons of grain to feed the Roman uh, population. Uh, And those things would be stored in containers down in the cargo hold. And so when you've got all of that loaded up, the ship rides lower in the waves. And if you're worried about running aground, you need the ship to ride higher. So you got to take the weight out. So they start throwing their very valuable cargo cargo overboard. And then on the third day of the storm, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. So now they're throwing anything and everything uh, that might be heavy, uh, but not necessary to survive. And so it could be some of the cross beams. It could be some of the cable ropes. Uh, could be some of the um, uh, some of the material used to uh, keep the anchors in place and things like that. So they're getting way as much weight as possible. To make this ship ride higher, because when this storm started, they had an understanding of what direction they were being blown. Because they knew they left from Lassie, from uh, uh, from Fairhavens, and they were being blown southwest past Cauda. If they keep that heading, they will end up at the Syrtis. Now, what they don't know, which we do because of the story, is that the wind has shifted so that it's not blowing to the southwest. It's actually blowing west now. And it will then start blowing to the northwest. Uh, And so they think they're in grave danger, but in fact, they're being blown uh, toward their ultimate place of shipwreck, and that is the island of Malta. Uh, Verse number 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, so that's how how the storm is working, they can't take sightings. And so that's why I emphasize this idea. They think they're being blown southwest when in fact they have nothing to let them know they're being blown west and then northwest. So when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. So they figure they're done for. They have no clue when they're going to run aground, uh, far offshore, in a storm. Uh, They will drown. Verse 21. Since they'd been without food for a long time, so they're not eating probably because of the storm. Uh, They're probably very sick from the motion of this ship, uh, but also from concern over Uh, this storm. So when they'd gone for a long time without food, Paul stood up among them and said this, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. So the apostle Paul starts out with, I told you so. You should have listened to me. I warned you that this was what was going to happen. So Bad news first, good news next. Verse 22. Yet even now I urge you to take heart, 
For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So Paul has been praying about this. He's been praying, God, forgive them for not listening. Don't let any of them die. Don't let any of us drown. Help us to get uh, safely to the next place uh, where we can get uh, off of this boat. And so he's been praying that, and God answers his prayer and tells him, reinforces what he's already told him, you're going to be in Rome, you're going to talk to Nero. And yes, Paul, because you've asked me, I will save everyone on the boat. Verse 25, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I am told. But we must run aground on some island. So he lets them know we're all going to be okay, but it's not going to be nice. We're going to lose the ship and uh, we're going to be doing some swimming. Now, oddly enough, and we should make note of this, shipwrecks were fairly common. Uh, as Paul has already mentioned in one of his letters, he's been shipwrecked several times already in his life, and he spent a, a day and in the night swimming around in the sea waiting to be rescued. Uh, Josephus, uh, the Jewish historian, uh, he writes about how when he was on a trip to Rome, not too terribly far uh, in years from this event, he was in a shipwreck. And he and uh, several hundreds of others were swimming around and ended up getting rescued by other boats. Uh, so Paul is telling them, it is going to be scary, but God says we're all going to be okay. We're going to run aground off some island. And so when we come back tomorrow, we will talk about Paul's shipwreck and how there may in fact be some archaeological evidence about this very event.